Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thank you for jumping on. Please, guys, help us fight censorship by subscribing to the show. Share it with a friend and share it with your mama. Now, we got a great show for you today. Okay? But first... I have not made that formal decision, but it's my intention, my intention to run again. And we have time to make that decision. Uh, Dr. Biden is for it. Mr. President. Oh, Dr. Biden thinks that uh, my wife thinks that. Uh, that I uh, that, that we're that we're doing something very important. That's your president, guys. That's him, man. Falling asleep on TV while telling the world that he's fit to run for president next time around. And man, guys, don't tell me he's not your president because he is. Okay, guys, Dr. Mary Tally Bowden is our guest today. She's, uh, um, I looked her up before she was coming on and it says that she is a purveyor of dangerous COVID misinformation. Um, that's what it's, that's what it said on the internet. Uh, that was a claim on CBS by some hospital. I don't know. Some hospital that uses the Fauci method for treating patients, Dr. Bowden, she created breathe MD and there she has successfully treated thousands of unvaccinated COVID positive patients through her clinic, uh, using ivermectin and other early treatment strategies that have been proven clinically effective over and over and over all over the world. The success rate for treating uh, COVID positive unvaccinated patients at BreatheMD is something staggering like 99.9%, which is absolutely amazing because from my understanding of vaccination status and COVID, if you're unvaccinated and you get it, you die. So she's a miracle worker. Um, The hospital that said these things about her to CBS, who said she was harming the community, I'd like to know what their success rate is using the Fauci method which as we all know is, you know, go out, get boosted, get boosted again, get boosted one more time, catch COVID, stay home until you feel like you might die and then go to the hospital and hope for the best. Uh, Dr. Bowden has been one of the loudest and bravest voices against forced vaccinations on children. We got some bad news last week. We also got some good news last week, which we're going to talk about. We're grateful to have her on the show, speaking truth to power. Dr. Bowden, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 very good. Um, and I've I've we've had you on before and I've been following your Instagram more and more closely. And you've you've really you've really been putting it out there, been putting yourself out there very courageously. And and I appreciate that, especially when this this fight, it seems like we won all the arguments like a year ago, but instead of backing off, the administration is somewhat surprisingly doubled doubling down. And we just got this recent ruling, I guess it is from the CDC that they're now recommending the vaccine for kids to go to school. Um, I'm perplexed by this. Um, The vaccine is not a vaccine. We all know it's an experimental medicine that purposefully, like its intended cause is to make your RNA produce a toxic spike protein. It has known side effects. It doesn't do what it was created to do, which is stop the spread of COVID. Forcing this on children is unethical. How, how is this happening? Well, if I knew, then this wouldn't be happening. I guess if I knew a, a straightforward, clear-cut answer, right? It's very complicated how we got into this horrible situation that we're in. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I think... We're just going to have to find our people and find our communities and find our, you know, find ways out of it. I mean, I, t- I my kids go to a school that, you know, they initially locked down uh, for that spring. But then after that, it was mask free, vaccine free. They never shut down. And, you know, there are places like that that exist yes. or, you know, or you homeschool or but. Personally, I'm not going to let the government force anything upon my child like that. Um, they can make all the recommendations they want. Right. Well, that that. OK, so that brings me to 
the the interesting part of this like you're in texas you're you're not going to let the government texas is probably on your side we have the same thing in florida a lot a lot of states are going to take that stand but there's some states who aren't going to and it's not always as simple as you know move your whole life i mean it, that it is as simple as move your whole life but that's not simple so here here's what i want to ask you because I, now we're getting down to the nitty gritty it's it's serious business time and deci- hard decisions are going to need to be made as a dad, you know, the, the, the podcast owner of the dad presents the father of two kids. I live here in California. I love my kids more than anything on principle. It bothers me to my core that government wants to force medicine into my kids' bodies that I don't think they need. Um, I find it ethically just unforgivable. Um, I love my kids more than anything, as I'm sure you do as, as all parent, as any good parent does. And what I want for them more than anything is happiness and health. Um, I'm a, I'm a proud guy. I'm a stubborn and proud guy, but I'll happily let the government stomp on my, my principles and my pride in exchange for my happiness or happiness for my children. You know what I mean? So, um, but I'm not going to let the government harm them. So my, I guess my question is to you in California, I fully expect school boards to follow what the CDC is saying. I, I expect that's going to be what the schools do out here. They're going to require this. So it then becomes a calculation for myself and other California parents, a calculation on my children's happiness. Like they don't want to move. They love their life here. They have friends or in sports. They, they love it. My wife doesn't want to move. I don't really want to move. The sun's shining out there every day. Right. But I would rather move than give into the government. And I would definitely rather move than put my children at risk. So given that situation, how big of a risk is this vaccine? to my kids in your estimation? What, are, what is the actual risk they are looking at if we allow our children to be vaccinated? So I looked at the data from the VAERS, and this is from October 14th. Uh, there have been, in children ages six months to 17 years, 161 have died. 528 have been permanently disabled. And of we know, 1,962 have had myocarditis. So, you know, those aren't huge numbers, but what if your child dies? What if you're one of those? I mean, how horrible. I mean, that's. And the other thing that scares me is this undiagnosed myocarditis, because children may not have the symptoms an adult would have, or children may not have the verbal skills to express the symptoms. Yeah. And so they're getting scarring of their heart that could be permanent. And are we going to see in a few years, you know, this, the toddler gets to the soccer field and drops dead because they have scar tissue on their heart that went unrecognized. Yeah. And, you know, we know this bears data is unreported is underreported. So I just, I, it's a tough call. I understand. I'm lucky because I don't have to face that because I've got, I've just was already in a system that allowed me to put my kids first, but, I mean, I think I would try my hardest to get an exemption. I mean, are exemptions possible in California? I've heard it's very hard. Very hard. Possible, not impossible, but yeah. I mean, I would go for the exemptions. Yeah. And then, I don't know. Okay, so from what what you said, right? So basically, 161 died. Yeah, if your kid dies, that's the worst thing of all time. Like we we interviewed uh, Ernest Ramirez. He lost his son. Like I cannot imagine that pain. Um, I would never forgive forgive myself if I gave my kid the vaccine and he died. I'd kill myself. That would be the end result. Okay, that's what would happen. But 161 out of millions, I think I would take that risk. Quite honestly, what scares me is because it's 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 almost like winning the lottery, but in reverse, right? But what scares me is what you said about myocarditis, and we've had Dr. Malone on the show. We've had Dr. Mc- Peter McCall on the show and they, and other doctors, and they've all said the same thing. There's some studies that show myocarditis in like half the people, right? And there's the, it's asymptomatic. And if you get the myocarditis there's a high probability of scarring. Um, and if you have that scarring that interrupts the electrical signal, which could mean death. Like, and we've seen a lot of sudden death in the past year already that, that it seems unexplained. The, the media tries to convince us that people have always been dying this way, which seems ludicrous because I don't ever remember this in my entire life. So, okay. So that's the one that concerns me, the myocarditis. What are the facts that we know about getting 
the vaccine and myocarditis? Is there any updated data about how many people get this? Yeah, that's, I mean, the latest data from theirs is 1962, That's hospitalized though, right? It, it doesn't give you specifics. It just okay. says straight out myocarditis. Um, I haven't done a deep dig into the myocarditis, myocarditis data recently because for me, it's pretty cut and dry. I just, I was, they could tell me, they come out with studies now saying, oh, it's say I just, I'm very skeptical of all studies now, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard for me to, I look at everything with a different view than I once did. Um, yeah, cause they're liars. I, you know what, what? So, I mean, I'm very into firsthand experience and that's sort of why I speak out the way I do, because so much of what I see is firsthand. Now I don't see patients coming in with strokes and heart attacks because I'm an ENT, but 10% or probably more, I haven't counted recently, but 10% of my new patient appointments are for people, adults with ongoing health problems after the shots. So 10, you said 10% of your new patients. ENT, I mean, I shouldn't be seeing, I mean, I had never seen a vaccine reaction prior to COVID. Now, how do you, okay. So let's, I, I don't want to challenge you, but I want to challenge you because I like I'm on your team, but now I want to be definitive about this stuff because I have decisions to make as do a lot of people listen to the show. You say 10% of your patients are suffering coming to you because they have vaccine injuries. How do you know their injuries are from vaccines? Well, they're coming in with symptoms that are outside the bell curve. They're not what you would normally expect for somebody that age. The time factor, the onset of symptoms is very coincides with the vaccine and the symptoms tend to group together. I mean, there a lot of them are very similar to long haul COVID symptoms. The, the brain fog, fatigue, muscle pain, um, POTS syndrome. POTS is when you have, um, you know, tachycardia or your heart races and then blood pressure changes um, dramatically. A lot of them with anxiety, sleep problems, but there are too many of them to say, oh, this is just all in their head. And they all, they all go to these other long haul clinics. They get this or yeah, they don't, well, they get dismissed by their primary care doctor, or they'll go to these long haul clinics, they'll get the million dollar workup, and then they'll be put on a medication to help them sleep, an antidepressant, and a medication for anxiety, things like that. And then, you know, they just, there's not, unfortunately, a great test. I'm actually starting a project, a, lab, a research project to try to find some biomarkers to see, okay, can we detect, can we do a blood test to figure out you know, are these patients, is there something that's happening in these vaccine injury patients that we're not seeing in normal patients, but you know, research projects are quite an endeavor. So we're working on that, but it's just, it can't okay. all be coincidence based right. on what I'm seeing. So you're seeing a lot, first of all, I, you're not, you're not using a microphone, I don't think. And are you tapping your keyboard or something? It's, I keep picking okay. that up. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. So what you're saying is, um, you, as an ENT, you're seeing a lot of patients who, um, are presenting with symptoms that they should not, and that you've not typically seen for people their age and it's coinciding with proximity to being vaccinated. So either it's a massive coincidence or it's the vaccine. So you can't definitively prove it right now, but in your expert opinion, right. it, it would be too big of a coincidence with the, with the vast number of patients. Um, let me, this is another one personal, another personal question. Could asthma, could it bring, has you, have you seen it bring on asthma for anybody? I wouldn't say that. I would say, no, I would say okay. I see, I see prolonged respiratory issues after COVID itself. I would say I'm less, I can't think of a lot of situations from just the shot. Mm-hmm. Cause prolong. I mean, there are some people, but it tends to be other symptoms I'm seeing. But the prolonged respiratory symptoms seem okay. to be less common. Okay, let me rephrase my question then, because, and this is not, you know, I didn't have you on, so you could be my personal doctor here, but I think a lot of people are, are experiencing these kind of questions, and and they're wondering, right? So, uh, forget asthma. We uh, there's a family member who has had a hack of a cough for nine months, seeing doctor after doctor after doctor. The most recent diagnosis that this family member got three days ago is that it's asthma. Doctor before that said 
it was allergies. But all, all I know is there's been a cough for nine months. This, this person is double vaccinated and boosted. Mm-hmm. Could that, have you seen anything like that? Like a cough that just won't go away? It's hard because, well, I, I need to know, is this yeah. really asthma? Because part of it is how do they respond to asthma medications? What do their lungs sound like? Have they done a D-dimer to check for micro clotting? Mm-hmm. Are there other okay. are there other um, comorbidities, other uh, medical problems? Are they on any medications that could be causing triggering a chronic cough? Wow! So you <laughs> you sound like a doctor, and like you're thorough. You're you're not going to jump to conclusions, and you're not just going to point I, at, I at the vaccine. Asthma. asthma as a diagnosis, especially new onset asthma in adult, doesn't make sense to me. It's like the last resort because you got it. There's other, so many other things. Yeah. We're talking someone over 40 who's never had anything like that. Now yeah, they asthma out. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's all the bad news. This, this CDC stuff. And like I said, a lot of big decisions for, for people specifically in places like California and New York. Conversely in New York, we have some really good news, uh, which all, which, which I was also a little bit surprised by. And it's the news that the courts decided that people who lost their jobs for not getting the vaccine now get their jobs back and they get some back pay, which is incredible. So could that, uh, hopefully that starts to spread to other States, but do you think that, that, that decision, that court decision, like, could we see the same kind of thing happen with the schools? Could it go to court and this be overturned? And could that happen like quickly? <laughs> you're, uh, you're asking an ENT, not a, uh, Right. But I know you've been, you've been in this, you've been in this game and lawsuits and whatnot. Yeah. I guess still, I've learned so much about the legal system. I'm still highly confused by it, but uh, I mean, I think anything's, I think, you know, there's, I think there are a lot more lawsuits out there than we realize. Um, They just don't get publicized. Um, And, and this one is is just a huge one. I really hope I'm optimistic that it, it will turn the tide and, We'll start seeing just even, you know, more of these kind of improvements happen. And the fact that it happened in New York, is just amazing. So yeah, I have hope, but yeah, I'm just, yeah. Believe- I, I know, I know I'm suing a lot of people, but I right. don't, I'm <laughs> a legal expert. <laughs> right. Right. That, well, that's why I asked you. Cause I know you're, 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 but you know, you're not the only doctor involved in these suits. There's a lot of them. Speaking of expressvpn.com slash the dad look guys the fbi and nsa they're tracking you man if you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on twitter or whatever or you talk about it on facebook guess what they're spending money to track your web activity last year alone four million americans were tracked that data recently came out Four million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. Cancel by month four. You never pay for it. So try it out. Expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself. Protect your privacy. Protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise. Eat right and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who is one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to zstacklife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. Let's get back into the show. Speaking of those other doctors, I've had most of them on the show. Um, it bothers me like when I have a doctor on. And I go on the internet and I try to research as a doctor. And if I go through Google, I don't use Google anymore, but sometimes I do just for fun. All I get is this doctor's a liar. This doctor's a uh, misinformation spreader, blah, 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 blah. And they always, their new word that they love to use now is grifter. Now, from what I understand about doctors, I'm not a doctor, but I think they make pretty good money by doctoring, right? 
and I know that doctors who have gone against the grain and spoken out about this stuff, a lot of them have had it hurt their professional doctor career. Uh, some of them have even lost their licenses. Um, so are you guys making like billions of dollars grifting? How many billions have you made by spreading disinformation? Oh, because they're going, all my money is going to my lawyers. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, so it, it, it really depends. So I could, I could try to see a patient every 10 minutes and I would make a killing, but it, it all depends on, they're just a lot of factors. I wouldn't, I'd say my practice has changed dramatically in that when Methodists came after me, some people, you know, I got a lot of hate mail. I got a lot of patients leave me. Uh, you know, I've got, it, it, it drastically altered the demographics of my um, practice because now the people that come to me are very like-minded, but, you know, pushed away a lot of other people too. Yeah. Um, I started my practice, but I call it third party free. So I don't take insurance. I don't contract with the government. I don't No one from the hospital pays me. I don't have any kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies. I only work for my patients, but some people look at that as, Oh, well, she's a grifter because she doesn't take insurance, but I, I well, have insurance is a grift. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, yeah. if I took insurance. I could spend 10, 10 minutes with each patient and I could just crank out the patients and mm -hmm. I could make a killing. Um, yeah. but I spend 45 minutes with every patient and I, you know, I have low volume, high quality. So, yeah. So if you're a grifter and it's all for money, you're doing a terrible job at it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. See, if, when, when all this started and I started speaking out against uh, not vaccines, I started speaking out against this vaccine and started getting called anti-vaxxer. It, bo it bothered me a little bit because I'm a, a man of science. Uh, I have a, a medical degree. It, it, it bugged me. Right. Doesn't doesn't bother me at all anymore. The insults, none of the insults bother me, wh whatever they throw out there, racist, sexist, homophobic, you know, all the terms, all the isms, they don't bother me. I embrace them now. But when I am interviewing a doctor, or I have a doctor on a doctor who is out there trying to do good for the world and trying to like save lives, trying to help kids. And, and I research about them and all I can find is like hate online that bothers me for them. Has it personally affected you? Like, does it bother you? Are you past that? Do you care anymore? It doesn't bother me to get the random insults hur hurled at me online. It bothers me in my in my neighborhood. Like, I when I go take my kid to baseball practice, I wonder, like, hey, they I've been in the Houston news. Do these people like automatically not like me because they know that my backstory? Um, that that's. That's what bothers me. Yeah. But the, the random insults from random people, I'm completely beyond that. Yeah, I'm sure some of the people in the community do. You know, when you put yourself out there, I've learned this also, when you put yourself out there, people are going to judge you. Some of them are going to judge you in a positive light. Mm -hmm. Some of them are not. And when you're going against the grain, as you have, more often than not, you're not going to be getting judged in a positive light. Right. right. Like I, I will always, even if, if I didn't agree with you, I do agree with you, but even if I didn't, I would view you as a brave person. Like I admire that. I admire someone with courage, um, which you definitely have in spades. So I admire that. Um, but most, uh, well, one thing I've learned and we had on Dr. Mateus Desmond, and he's the guy with the, the mass formation psychosis, people largely don't think for themselves and they go with the herd mentality. So the herds are going to judge you and you just have to write those people off. It's right. all you can do because you really, you don't have much chance of winning them over and you probably can't convince them otherwise. How, what's the age range of your children? 10, 12, 14. And okay. 16. Like, okay. Well you have, wow. You got four kids and your doctor, four busy boys. lady, boys. Yeah. all boys. Yes. Oh man. Okay. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're busy. My, my heart goes out to you. I got two boys and they keep us very busy. Um, yeah, that bothers me too. Like the, the, the social groups, not so much like I've been judged in my social group. I'm sure you have as well. That doesn't bother me, but it bothers me when it rolls into the children's lives. Has that happened to you at all? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm lucky because the school that, that I know the most of the people at is very, 
like-minded and that was the, that was the way before COVID I didn't even realize I mean how lucky and then it all worked out but yeah I mean it's it's the sporting events and things like that I tend to kind of keep to myself and and not because I just don't know who knows what and you know but that bothers me but you know I know you know I've gotten I've made so many new friends from this I'll say that so that's that's been nice and I've I've lost some people that I thought were really good friends, but mm-hmm. yeah, well, they weren't, that's, that's what, you know, they weren't, if you know what I mean, they weren't that good of friends. I've learned the same thing. Uh, it's a hard lesson to learn. Uh, 10% of the patients coming to you, you said are vaccine injured. Let's accept that as fact. What are you doing to help them? How do you help these people? Typically I start with ivermectin because I do see a very good response in the majority wouldn't say all of them. Um, but ivermectin, I get great results for if that doesn't work, then I tend to try low dose naltrexone and that's just sort of a broad approach. I mean, there are more, is that a steroid? I'm not uh, low dose naltrexone. So naltrexone is the medication they use to reverse an opioid overdose. Oh, wow. And so they have, okay. And I'm not sure how they figured this out, but they, uh, somebody came up with if you take a very low dose of that low dose naltrexone it has it inhibits a cytokine called il6 which is a big inflammatory cytokine which has been shown to be elevated in patients with both long haul and vaccine injury and it inhibits that with very few side effects and it's not just used for COVID, but it's been helpful for chronic pain and some autoimmune issues Interesting. The only the downside of that is it takes a while to kick in. So you have to keep people on it for at least a month before you know if it's going to work. Yeah. I I tend to see a more immediate response. Yeah. I mean, there's been so many uh, drugs tried and I've heard a lot of different things about different drugs. I've not heard about that one. One drug that for a while I was hearing about, I think it was from Pierre Corey, but don't quote me on that, um, was uh, fluvoxamine. Mm -hmm. And that's one that I, so we, my family started taking ivermectin. It, it worked very well. In fact, we did not get COVID until we ran out of ivermectin. Then coincidentally, the next week we got it. Maybe coincidence, maybe it has something to do with it, but we also then ordered more and we also ordered fluvoxamine. The, the fluvoxamine came in later when we took that drug, it screwed me up. Like yeah, it got me like high for like two full days. I couldn't get it out of my system. It was wild. Yeah. I, so I ordered a bunch of that thinking, Oh, this is going to be great. And I wanted to have it on hand for my patients. And I, I I think I've used it one time. So my protocol for uh, COVID, I do ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and the vitamins the first week. And then, so day eight is usually, if things are going to go downhill, it's usually day eight. And at that point, uh, I, I get, I tell everybody to get a nebulizer and have that on hand because that's, that can be a game changer in keeping you out of the hospital. And if the first week of those treatments don't work, then I do a Medrol dose pack and breathing treatments if necessary, because it's going to go to the lungs the second week. Yes. So, and that has done the trick. I haven't needed to add all those. Other, I mean, I've, I've, I've thrown the whole FLCC protocol kitchen sink at people, but those are in people that came in, you know, towards third, sec, end of second week, third week, and, you know, really, really sick. But yeah. people that, the, most people have been fine just doing that. Right. Yeah. The key I keep hearing over and over, the ones that keep coming up are, first of all, early treatment, early is key. And then ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine zinc, vitamin D, like it's the, the same core ones that regardless of the doctor, the doctors who have been successful, those, those are the key ones, uh, that they're using. And then, uh, the other one I hear a lot about is the nasal rinse. Do you yes, get involved? That's okay. huge too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so your clinic, um, you don't take insurance. Um, I, I, I believe last time we had you on, after we had you on, we had, I talked to somebody who started this thing called crowdfunding. Have you heard of crowdfunding? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and this, I hope is where the future goes, because as I already said, insurance is a grift. 
Like it's a grift. You spend how much you get taken out of your paycheck if you're employed. And then when you need them, they don't ever cover anything. You get in to see a doctor, a doctor sees you for seven minutes and, and moves on with, with this crowdfunding. It seems like it can, it can reel in the cost of healthcare and the doctors can get more time with the patients and the doctors can still make good money. It's kind of seems like what you're doing on your own, right? You're just taking, you're taking cash pay. Is that correct? Right. So crowdfunding, so when you say crowdfunding, I think of people setting up a give, send, go account and raising money to pay their medical bills. But what are, what are you there's, talking about? There's a business called crowdfund. And what they're doing is like you drop, you can drop your health insurance, right. you sign on with this group and it's like 200 bucks a person per month. Right. And it's just, it's what insurance should be. Everybody pulling their money together. And then when something happens, it yeah. goes to whoever needs it, but the, the way the reason it works is because the people at crowdfund mm-hmm. are negotiating every right. transaction. Like when you go, when I go to the hospital and I had surgery, I had neck surgery, I came out like they didn't tell me how much that surgery was going to be. Right. You just go in, you sign a bunch of papers, you come home the next week, a bill shows up for $120,000. Like I didn't agree to that. So they negotiate all these things ahead of time, and right. that bill would have been like $20,000 or. Well- and what is, so I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I was looking yesterday at this post and somebody posted their bill from getting a, a biopsy of the submandibular gland, which is the gland right here. Mm-hmm. And they were sent to an interventional radiologist, which you don't need to, I mean, you need an interventional radiologist when you need to biopsy something that you can't see or feel, but submandibular gland is right there. It's something that could be done in the office. In my office, it would cost $300. The patient got a bill for $19,000 for the, I mean, it just, <laughs> it's just you're, you're talking about something you would have done in that office. <laughs> yes. Wow. I mean, that, the 20,000 neck surgery dollar neck surgery is probably a hundred times more expensive than it needs to be even at that price. So, I mean, everything is so inflated. It's yeah. really bad. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think people like you who are taking it into their own hands, you're uh, you're taking the power back for yourself. Number one, because you don't have to listen to these insurance companies tell you what to do. And but number two, uh, you're giving the power back to the people. So I, I really I really appreciate that, um, especially as a, a person with kids who gets uh, <laughs> healthcare bills and I see how much they are. It's, it's insane. Um, OK, so we talked about sudden death syndrome. Um, and the amount of people you see on just on in these clips online who are just like falling down dead they're they're walking around they're giving a speech they're doing some athletics they fall down they're dead um it seems to me it's gotta it can only be one there's we've not seen this before in my lifetime so the only thing that has changed in my lifetime that's new in these past couple of years is number one covid and number two, the COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. So is there anything to link all this sudden adult death to the vaccines to differentiate between the vaccines and COVID itself? Like, how do we know which one it is? I think timing. I mean, that's that's the big one, right? I mean, that's what I see in my practice because I have to figure out, okay, is this a vaccine injury or is this just COVID, right? Because now COVID, everybody's had COVID at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it, I go on the history and, you know, proximity to having the shot and, um, you know, if somebody had very mild COVID, they shouldn't be dropping dead from COVID, right? If they just got a little runny nose, but if shouldn't they, be. right, uh, that I've never heard of that. The people that drop dead from COVID are, are sick, right? Mm, and then they yeah. get a pulmonary embolism or uh, some sort of thrombotic event. Um, but the people that get those thrombotic events don't just have the sniffles. The, the people that get the thrombotic events tend to be the, the sicker people to begin with. So um, that's, you know, I guess, it, and that's one of the reasons we're trying to do research to get some sort of lab test to figure out, you know, is there a way to figure out, is this COVID or is this the shot? Right. Autopsies would help too. It seems like they don't always do that. Like if it's a blood clot, if it's a blood clot and it didn't happen during COVID, then you can imagine it's probably from the the vaccine. But if it's myocarditis, right. And the scarring on the heart and the interrupting of the signal that causes an AFib and the person drops dead. Well, it would seem to me that 
they say COVID can cause myocarditis and the vaccine causes myocarditis. So it seems to me it would be hard to differentiate that. Right. I, you know, it's, for me, it's, it's timing and history at this point. We need, we, we need tests so that we can know for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, when I'm in the office and I'm talking to people, I can usually figure it out based on just talking to them. Yeah. Like if it's, you know, like Ernest Ramirez's kid, if it's the week you got the shot and you were otherwise healthy kid, it's clearly obvious. Right. It's those other cases that uh, the reason I ask is it, to me, it, it seems obvious that it, that it is the vaccine um, because it's all, it's always someone who was vaccinated. Always. These people who dropped that, they were always vaccinated. They didn't always have COVID. So that's clue number one, but I would like more evidence, more research so that this case can be sold to everybody. And it seems like they don't want to do that. They don't want to accumulate the evidence. Just with any kind of vaccine injury or they're supposed to, that's the whole point of bears or these mm-hmm. safety signals that are supposed to launch a, a large scale, deep investigation by the CDC. That's their whole job. Right. right? Should, we shouldn't have to figure this out. <laughs> they should be figuring this out, but they're ignoring they're ignoring yes. safety signals. So. That's the problem. They're in they're in the tank with these uh, pharmaceutical companies. Like the 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 vaccine injuries reported on VARES. The the two things about that on VARES, from what I've learned, like they will try to say you can't count on that information. Well, yeah, you kind of can't count on it because most people are not reporting. Right, but right. people aren't calling up and saying, "Hey, I died," right? Unless they're dead. Right. A family member is doing it. You're not pranking bears. That's a federal crime. And you better believe they're trying to go after some of these people. Ernest Ramirez, they tried to go after him, right? He, um, he, for reporting so, the bears, they tried to go after him. Yeah. And they offered him money. They oh, offered right. him money yeah, to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. yeah. So um, the, the numbers are definitely underreported on there. Number one. Number two, there's more reports on bears for this vaccine than any other in history. And there's been others that have been pulled from the market. So the fact that the CDC won't even look into it just tells you everything you need to know about their intentions and where their, where their loyalty lies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So new booster this year, we already know the booster is not effective. Um, Or are we going to like, I I thought, I really thought by this point we'd be done with it. Are we now going to see a new booster every year? Every in your year? estimation, oh, I'm sure they, yes, it's gonna be like the flu shot, right? That'll be the COVID clot shot. Yeah. Do you recommend to your patients to get the flu shot at this point? No. no stop. I used to. I used to carry it at my office, and now I've stopped. Uh, the efficacy. I mean, I just assumed there was enough. You know, I just assumed as, yeah. as most doctors just assume, right? And then you start digging into it. You're like, hey, wait a second. And Dr. Malone made a very good point is that they've got to be prepared for the bad flu strain, right? So they have to keep these flu, they have to keep the flu shot factory going. So they're going to come up and just come up with a new, whether it works or not, they're going to keep the flu shot factory going and operational, you know, to be prepared for the big one. And so efficacy is sort of, hush hush right they're not that's they just need to keep cranking these out and when you go back and look at those numbers not good last year i believe it was 16 percent um but they're claiming you know 16 percent worked right yeah and then i think and that's what they admit to they admit that it was only 60 percent yeah and then i think if you look at overall the last few years something like 30 percent efficacy so yeah i think what I've learned most from this pandemic is that you can treat a virus because you're in medical school. You were taught you cannot treat a virus. Viruses just run their course. There's nothing you can do. And I have learned now that that is not true, that there are plenty of things that we can do. And I feel like I would rather just treat the flu early and aggressively and not even worry about the flu shot. I know plenty of people, including myself, who've gotten the flu. I, I mean, I ended up in the ICU with the flu after getting the flu shot. So wow. I, I would rather, because I think also it gives people a false sense of security, which I'd rather have everybody prepared. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to get a nebulizer and have that at their house. That can be, if you are on the verge of going to the emergency room, but you can give yourself breathing treatments at home, that, that can be huge. 
isn't isn't that amazing what you just said there like you 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 go you're you're a smart woman you're a doctor you went to school and you trusted this school and you trusted the establishment to teach you what you need to know to help people and you've learned that they they lied or they gave you bad information because you've learned how to treat viruses we can treat viruses um it, that's that's amazing like what this has uncovered for you for me for so many people um i don't i used to get the flu shot i didn't think twice about it i was a healthcare worker i would go get the flu shot cuz they said get the flu shot and okay i'm going to get the flu shot i'm not getting that thing anymore i don't trust it and that's that's a good thing and a bad thing it's it's a good thing in that some things are being exposed right if there's money to be made there will be corruption that's a rule of thumb of life if there's money to be made there will be corruption and we, and we've we've seen that with uh, COVID. So obviously it also exists with things like the flu. They're making big money on these vaccines. So there's going to be some corruption. So you better be skeptical at least a little bit. Um, that's, that's the good part of it. The bad part of it maybe is that not only have I stopped trusting uh, medical institutions, I've stopped trusting everything, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know how society uh, runs and functions when people don't trust any of the institutions. I know it's scary. I mean, I, I almost had to take my kid to the emergency room a couple of weeks ago and I didn't know what to do because I really didn't trust what would happen if I took him to the emergency room. And luckily it all, things evolved. And I was able to avoid that, but it is, it's pretty sad when a doctor is scared to take her son to the emergency room. Yeah. Do you, do you, I, I would assume you talked to, I mean, like we, we were at that conference together uh, in Missouri and everybody gets together. I, I've not had a lot of that. I, I'm wondering, do you talk with other doctors who feel like you? And is there like a network of you guys communicating? Is there something in the works to like build an alternate medical community or I don't know? Yeah, I think we've seen a groundswelling of like-minded doctors creating their own healthcare companies or units or, you know, like Peter McCullough is creating and Harvey Risch are collaborating to create something called the wellness clinic. I think Um, Ben Marble has my free doctor, which is provides telemedicine in 50 States. Avery Jackson, he's a neurosurgeon. He's creating something called the body, uh, which is another, you know, group of like-minded doctors providing care. Uh, Global COVID Summit is coming together to try to create sort of an online platform that can be trusted for COVID advice or, or other advice. But And that's called DMED, so Deconstructed Medicine, DMED.com. So, you know, people are, you know, we need more. But and what I have found is a, a, I didn't have this kind of medical community prior to COVID. I felt very alone, independent, not that I'm, but you know, I didn't have all this collaboration and yeah. there is a tremendous amount of collaboration now, which is wonderful. Like just people bouncing things off of each other. We're on chats and things like that. That's but encouraging. That, that's been good. That's encouraging. And that's very encouraging, but I would imagine there's going to be pushback on those kind of things. I, I can totally see, you know, the, the, the way these things work is the, the corporations, the, the pharmaceutical companies, regardless of an industry, but in this one, it's pharmaceutical companies. Uh, they got the big pockets. The politicians need their money to run for their next campaign. So they want such and such legislation that will benefit them and shut you guys down. And I would imagine some of that is probably coming your way. I don't know. Uh, well, I hope, I hope you're wrong, but you're probably not. I hope I'm wrong too. Hope I'm wrong too. Um, all right. So one thing um, I, I didn't mention uh, Houston Methodist off the top because there was a, I know you have a lawsuit and you're not supposed to talk about it, but you brought them up. Um, th- it was written on CBS that they fired you because you apparently emailed your patients and said you wouldn't treat vaccinated patients. Now that doesn't sound right to me. Did you, did you state that? Well, first they didn't fire me. I was never on their payroll, but everybody thinks I was fired. They suspended me and then I resigned. Um, This is what happened. So I had a patient of mine call me distressed. 
she was in her 70s. She had a history of bladder cancer. She was called by her urologist at Methodist and told she would need to find a new urologist because they were planning on closing their doors to patients that were not vaccinated. This, this happened to me on the same day that I got a letter from the surgery center I work at saying that I needed to be vaccinated to operate. And then it also came on the same day that this patient I was trying to help in Dallas was hospitalized trying to get ivermectin. The hospital would not allow it. The, the family sued and I testified. We won. The hospital was ordered to give me temporary privileges so I could write the order for the ivermectin. And they reviewed my uh, application and denied my privileges. Even though I had a spotless record, I had you know, no malpractice suits, nothing like that, but they just did it out of, you know, just to keep this patient from giving ivermectin. All three of those things happened on the same day. So I sent an email to my patients, a couple thousand people, we're not talking like millions of people, mm -hmm. um, that going forward, I was going to prior prioritize being the unvaccinated. Okay. I, said I would never turn away an established patient. I would never turn around, turn away a vaccinated patient in an emergency situation, but for routine patients who are seeing me for routine ENT problems, I was only going to see the unvaccinated. And I yeah. actually never enforced this. Okay. Just, so that was that, okay. So that that sounds uh, right because the the way they put it sounds unethical. But basically, the hospital was not willing to treat unvaccinated people. So you were stepping in and, and saying you're going to prioritize those people that the hospital will not treat. So it was actually the hospital being unethical. And then they said they fired you when you weren't even an employee. Just, right. to, just, just, and now at your, at breathe MD, you, you prioritize unvaccinated people or you treat only I unvaccinated. Don't you don't know I everybody. I, that was, that's right. Cause you said 10% of who you treat yeah, are I, vaccine injured. And everybody, I mean, yeah, so many people are vaccinated now. It, no, that was not. I never enforced that. Good. Well, it was good. Hard to just make a stand, take a stand. Yeah. Well, no, you were you were doing the ethical thing that a doctor is supposed to do when a doctor pledges to do no harm and and help. Like these people, vaccinated or not, needed help. So you're saying the hospital's not going to help you. I'm going to help you. You're you're being the ethical one. You know, there so, are plenty of pediatric clinics that will say we will not take you if you will not vaccinate your children. So this is not like some new, you know. I, other doctors have paved the way in the opposite direction, though. Yeah, I I mean, I I I don't know if I told you before. I got the first uh, J and J like a year ago. Like after much deliberation and then talking to people, I just figured with everything we're going through, like, I don't think it's going to be too big of a COVID. I'm not worried about COVID, but I'm just tired of dealing with this. I'll get the one J and J and be done with it. And I did. And it made me sick, of course, for like five days. Um, but now where, whenever I go see a doctor or anything, they ask me, are you vaccinated? I just say, not your business. Cause it's not related to what I'm in here for. Right, right. And you can just see the look in their eye, like looking down on me. I'm not even saying I, whether yeah. It's a loaded question. I purposely don't ask people because it's a loaded question these days, right? It's not yes. an innocuous question. And you're right. If you don't, you don't need to know. There's no, there's no reason unless it has something to do with your medical, like something that is acutely going on. Is right. Yes. I, yeah. I'm with you. I. Oh man. All right. Well, doctor. Um. Again, as I said off the top, I got to get kids to practice. I, you have one child who's walked in and out about three times. I don't know which one that is, but it seems like you got stuff going on there. Um, we, I, I don't, I know you doctors don't hear enough. So when I have a doctor on, I make sure to say it. We appreciate you. We appreciate that you put your neck on the line. You put your bottom dollar on the line. You put your medical degree on the line to fight for what you as a doctor think is best for your patients rather than just falling in line to the, the Fauci way when you know that can do harm. I, I appreciate you. I respect you for your courage. Um, if, if there are people in the Texas area who need a good doctor, how can they look you up? Uh, breathemd.org is my website. So. Okay. And on social media, where are you? Uh, 
MD, well, let's see. I was kicked off Twitter. So, well, MD Breathe, Breathe MD, Breathe.MD on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I can't remember the handle, but. What, yeah, what's weird about that? Um, you're still on Instagram. I'm still on Instagram. Huh. I, we had an audience on uh, Facebook of 100,000 people. They kicked us off. Mm. Um, they kicked us off. We got back on. They kicked us off again. We got back on. They kicked us off again. We're done. But we're still on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. So I don't really get it. Twitter kicked us off. YouTube booted us. Like we almost don't exist anymore. Luckily, Spotify keeps us up. We have a good audience there. But yeah, you're you're on Instagram seems for whatever reason to let people talk about it a little more. I don't know what that is. I think it's because there aren't as many tattletales on it. Because I mean, I was surprised. I hadn't been on Instagram for a while because I was on Twitter so much. And Twitter has more extreme people, extreme views, more controversy. Instagram mm-hmm. is a lot more, you know, fashion, art, culture. Yep. And yep. I was actually, when my I got, feed is girls doing yoga mostly. I don't yeah, know what yeah. your, your feed. <laughs> I was kind of, I'm not going to get on Instagram because of that. And then when I got, when I got picked off Twitter and I started engaging on Instagram, I was surprised to find that it has become a little more political leaning and you'll find all the politicians on there now and it's not as just you know fruity stuff yeah so i guess my theory i feel like it's a more moderate crowd which i kind of like because maybe yeah. I reach people that i feel like on twitter everybody's just one way or the other you're not gonna twitter's a shit show it's it's awful um i'm, I'm glad to have been booted there but yeah it's a couple it's a couple things yeah instagram started as a place for like pretty girls to put pictures of themselves and no makeup and say how brave they were. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, it was never as political, but when you shut down all the other avenues, the politics are going to go there. Number one. And number two, sadly, everything in our lives now is political. And that's, that's sad. Yeah, like my okay. children are aware of politics now and that sucks because I, kids shouldn't be. I know. I barely voted the last election. I voted, but barely. I was, you know, and now I'm like, yeah. And my, my kids too. I walked in my uh, 16 year old's room, and he had a "Let's Go Brandon" poster on his ceiling. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You're right. they're, yeah. They're- 16 year old. All he should care about at 16 is boobies. He should not be like he shouldn't know about this. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of glad he's he's talking about Biden and not. <laughs> Babies, but yes. right, right. All right, doctor. Uh, thank you again. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, look her up on Instagram if you need a doctor. She's your girl. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt.